So, Doug, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2014 was announced this week, and my favorite band of all time, Nirvana, is going in along with Temple Grads Hall and Oates, a few other acts. So it's a pretty big day for me. I don't, I don't know about you. I don't. I'm not. I don't really know much about any of these people. I, I know "Smells Like Teen Spirit," isn't that? That's a song. Yes, that's Nirvana. I guess it's a good. I used thing. to listen to that in the hockey locker room. Yeah, I guess it's a good thing you're not a ten-year member of the Rock and Roll Writers Association of America, then. Yeah, I guess so. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I, as always, am Lou DiPietro. To my left, once again, we've re-switched seats for the week, is uh, Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire. I think you're a little hard of hearing. You turn up these headphone headsets, like, high. Well, I'm, I'm getting old, so it's all that rock and roll music I listen yeah, to as a kid. Yeah, seriously, it's all that, here we are now, entertain yeah, us. Oh, jeez, that, that just, I'm deafened right now. Well, you know, there's a button you can turn that Where down. Where is that so button? So there it is, right there, that's the one. Yeah, there uh, you go, better? Wow, better. yeah, back to earth now. Oh, we had a little fun at the beginning there. Doug and I have a little fun in the office a lot based on our musical taste, being that he's so much younger than I am. He, When we discussed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees a month or so ago, he had no clue who most of them are. And that's that's understandable because I don't really fully appreciate the discography of some of those people. But uh, that Hall of Fame discussion was brought to you by the fact that, as we've uh, foreshadowed earlier on uh, – other episodes of the Yes Men, we'll have Jack O'Connell, the secretary-treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association of America, on with us in just a little bit to talk about uh, Joe Torrey, Bobby Cox, Tony LaRusso's unanimous election to the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee, and a little bit about what uh, what you can expect when the, you know, the real Hall of Fame voting, I guess, I shouldn't say real, but the player ballot is uh, announced on January 8th to see who, uh, who goes into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was going to say, Lou, one thing that's hard for – that has been hard for me and, and young people in general with the Hall of Fame as you're growing up, and I'm sure this was like you at some point, although you have more of a historical brain than I do. But you know, you don't really know a lot about the careers of most players until you get into your 20s. So just now am I starting to really know what some of these guys were like. I watched Greg Maddox pitch, obviously. Right. I rooted for Mike Messina, you know, everything like that. So – it is a little hard, and the same thing with the rock and roll, and just being in the workplace when you're in your 20s, just out of college like I am, it is sometimes hard because there are TV shows and music and athletes that I just wasn't aware of to be able to you know, participate in these conversations, so I'm left out on so many inside jokes. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, too, is you look at just someone like Jack Morris, and Don Mattingly not so much as I know you're a Yankee fan, so you know a lot more about Don Mattingly than maybe anyone else from that historical era, but... Jack Morris is in his 15th and final year on the ballot. Add in the five years that he had to wait before he got on the ballot, and you're talking, were you three the last time Jack Morris threw a pitch? So realistically, oh, yeah. you, you never saw any of his career, let alone, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, that's why it's, it's a hard topic to get young people really interested in. Uh, the Hall of Fame. But it is a truly interesting topic, and uh, we'll have uh, Jack on in just a little bit. And I promise you, you'll be really interested to hear some of the things he says about past voting, future voting, and obviously the ballot that's about to come out. Uh, Lou, we wanted to talk a little Yankees before we get into that. Right. Obviously, it's been very busy. This offseason has been very busy across the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, they, they're not announced officially, but it's been reported, and it was reported by our very own Jack Curry, that they signed Matt Thornton, yep. who's a left-handed reliever, throws hard. He's 37 years old. They signed him to a two-year deal for significantly less money than Boone Logan got mm-hmm. uh, in Colorado. They also signed second baseman Brian Roberts. I happen to really like the move. I think uh, in, judging from 
the past two or three years, Brian Cashman has a way of finding veterans that have something left in the tank. Raul Labanya is uh, anyone? Yeah, exactly. Eric Chavez, anyone? Who have something left in the tank and have been liabilities in the injury department, but they, they're reinvigorated by pinstripes. Yep. And uh, I think that's what Cashman is looking for in terms of Roberts. And if you think about it, Lou, the combination of Alex Rodriguez, listen, I don't know any better than anybody else what his situation is going to be. But the combination of Alex Rodriguez, Kelly Johnson, and Brian Roberts, I think, might be enough to cover second and third base. It looks like their bullpen, we may be done spending there. I thought maybe they were going to give Benoit a shot. That didn't happen. He signed with the Padres today. It looks like they may be saving everything for Tanaka. Yep. So I think they're okay with where their infield stands right now. Yeah, I mean, there's probably still discussions going on with guys like Mark Reynolds or even Chavez, who's a free agent again, or or other players who can kind of man third base and, and maybe even someone who's more of a second baseman too. I know Mark Ellis is off the board. Uh, you know, following Infante and Cano, and there's a couple other guys that have come off the board that are sort of utility types. But, you know, a lot of people have been bemoaning the loss of Cano because not only is he a great player, you know, in terms of numbers, he plays 155-plus games a year every year. But you know what? Between second and third base, you're looking at 324 games, just mathematically. If you can get three guys to play 100, that might end up being even better for the Yankees because they can mix and match where they need to. You know, Brian Roberts hasn't played in 100 games in a long time, but if he's 100% healthy and he looked like he was he was back at the end of last year with Baltimore, you know, 100 games might not be out of the realm of possibility. 100 for Kelly Johnson, maybe 120 because he's not really a health liability so much as you might sit him against a lefty now and again. And A-Rod, if he's in there, if he's healthy, someone else, if, if A-Rod is suspended for any long, any length of time, you know, someone else could be in there for 100, 110 games, maybe a DH spot here or there. That could end up being the production that, or even more productive, really, because, you know, if somebody's slumping, you bench him. You have another option. Whereas I, if Cano's slumping, he was in there no matter what. I think also one thing that's important about Brian Roberts is that he's a really good clubhouse guy. We've known that about him for a long time. He uh, has been in Baltimore for his whole career, and they loved him there. And I think they're a little bit surprised, in fact, that he didn't return. Now, I will say, I think Eduardo Nunez is kind of getting lost in this conversation. There's a very good chance he could participate in the third base competition, assuming that Alex Rodriguez won't be available. And Nunez actually played his best field. At third base. Yeah, he played best in, in the field at third base. And... I think that Brian Roberts might actually have an ability to rub off on Nunez as a guy that can actually teach. You know, Derek Jeter is a leader in every facet of the game, yep. but he's more of a lead by example than, hey, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Maybe Brian Roberts is that kind of guy, and that could possibly really help Eduardo Nunez. It could, and, you know, maybe Nunez with the, you know, third base is a longer throw, so to speak, than, you know, second base. Um, but it's a, it's a straighter throw, less range. You know, he doesn't have to worry about as much, less thinking. Maybe that'll be good for him. And he does have a minor league option, so you never know. This could be the year they go to him and say, look, you're going to AAA. You're our everyday shortstop. You're going to cut bait. You're going to swim or cut bait, and that's it. So we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, everyone, including the Yankees, is waiting to see what happens with A-Rod. There's players available, and they have internal options if, you know, push comes to shove and nothing is available when they find out. But, you know, we're going to we're gonna do a little Yankees uh, year in review Um over the holidays, because we're going to be off for the next two weeks for Christmas, New Year's. Uh, don't really feel like coming in to tape a podcast on Christmas Day. Well, that sounds yeah. wrong. We're not going to be off for the next two weeks. Well, that would be nice. The yes men. Well, will not be that I don't love working, you know, but people <laughs> love off time. Right. So we're we're not going to come in and tape a podcast on Christmas and New Year's Day. So we're going to do a little Yankees uh, next year in review. 
uh, probably on Monday or Tuesday. That'll run for the next few weeks, and then you'll uh, you'll get to hear our dulcet tones again back in January. Wait, wait, wait! I want a really good uh, opportunity for a segue. Oh, go for it! I just I had one in mind. Let's see if you can beat oh, it. Oh God! I no, knew go you, I knew you had one that like, you were thinking about. Go ahead. It. Well, I was going to say, well, Lou, uh, the, I was going to try and make it sound natural. Well, Lou, uh, you know the Yankees are thinking about posting uh, for Masahiro Tanaka. A guy they could really use is Mike Messina. Ooh, that's not bad. That isn't bad that's because, bad. like, I love Mike Messina. He was one of uh, the greatest Yankees pitchers of you know the past. I don't know, two decades. Absolutely. I was I was going more chronological segue. I was saying because the last word I said was January before you jumped in. Well, let's see. So wow, say, it's just your brain nope. is amazing. Speaking of January, January eighth uh, is when yeah. we find out the Hall of Fame. You vote. like the so, speaking ofs. You like the, the to do I the do. speaking ofs. I do. It's it's kind of my calling card. Uh, and speaking of calling cards, the guy's been on hold for quite a while, so maybe let's get to our guest. With part of the Hall of Fame vote behind us and the the main Hall of Fame vote still upcoming in a couple weeks, we have with us the, the man who knows something before any of us do, uh, the Secretary Treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association of America, Mr. Jack O'Connell, who also has the privilege of privilege, I guess, of sitting next to us in the press box at Yankee Stadium. Jack, Lou DiPietro, Doug Williams on the Yes Men, welcome and uh, thanks for coming. Well, thanks very much, and let me begin by saying I don't, at this point, I don't know anything more than anybody else. Uh, people don't usually believe me when I say this, but it is true. None of the envelopes are opened until the, the day of the counting. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a box here, a mailbox that's uh, filling up with uh, unopened envelopes, and I'm as anxious to, uh, to get to them in another uh, few weeks as, uh, as people are well, Jack, in the I, country. So, um just to dispel that notion that I'm counting along the way as they come in, it's uh, we, I, I sit down in a room with uh, with Michael DeLisi from the Ernst & Young accounting firm in his office, and that's when we do it, and we all find out together. So. Well, Jack, we both believe you. I, I don't think you're hiding anything from us. <laughs> um, I guess I'll ask you at first for, with what's already happened. Um, what were your thoughts on Tory Cox and LaRusso's induction into the Hall of Fame? Well, I was on that committee, and since they were unanimous, I guess I can talk about it. You know, they, right, they exactly. tell us in the room, you know, you're not supposed to talk about this, but it's pretty obvious that we all voted for them. Uh, listen, we're talking about three of the great. It, it was just a matter of luck that they all happened to, you know, end their careers at the same time and could be on the same ballot because you're talking about three of the greatest managers ever. And, you know, it's funny. When I first got on the committee, I said to myself, do I really want three managers to go in the same year? It seemed, you know, maybe, uh, there's, a way, maybe there's a way I can separate these guys. You know, when I looked at Tory, you're allowed to look at the totality of, of, of a guy's career. And I, you know, Joe had the better playing career. But then, you know, Bobby had a background in the, the front office. He, you know, he drafted Chipper Jones. He basically created the team that he later managed. Tony LaRusso, you know, changed the way bullpens were used. So every time you, you, you gave one guy an extra check, you have to give a second guy an extra check. And it's funny, I, I flew down. Uh, to Orlando I was on the same flight with Steve Hurt from the Elias Bureau. He was also on the committee. And so we shared a cab going to the hotel. And the first thing he asked me was, how did you separate the managers? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I couldn't. I mean, and I think everybody on the committee felt that way. Um, you know, we, we didn't discuss the managers first. You know, you just do it alphabetically. You know, start with Concepcion and then Cox and all the way down to Tory. So they were discussed uh, at different points during the meeting. But I think at the end of it, when we got to the second discussion, that was one of the things that came about. You just heard nothing but um, 
you know, positive remarks about these three remarkable careers. I mean, they're three, four, and five in victories all time. So uh, I think it was a great day for baseball. I mean, I was down at the winter meetings at the announcement, and everybody was there. And, and uh, of course, they were, they were beside themselves. You know, they, it was unusual because I've been on these committees before, and usually if somebody gets elected, they're not there. They happen to all be in Orlando on business. And, in fact, the hall invited them into the uh, – into the breakfast area where we we were, uh, you know, we gathered before the uh, before the announcement. So it was it was it was cool. You know, it was it was neat to see the guys come in there. And boy, I tell you, their their reaction is the same reaction everybody has that I've talked to on the phone going into the Hall of Fame. It's just a, a feeling of humility and of awe. And it was it was a special moment. And. I, I really like being a part of it. I really did. You said too that you included the totality of their whole career. So Joe Torre had close to a Hall of Fame playing career, according to many many people who think about it. So really, he was kind of a. I guess he would seem to be kind of a no brainer when everything kind of is all said and done and everything is considered. Yeah, that's true. But I can say this, uh, and I, I think I'm speaking for everybody on the committee. If Joe Torre had not played a single inning in the major leagues, he'd be going to the Hall of Fame as a manager. Oh, absolutely. We. We uh, we talked a little bit about uh, other things that he and Bobby did, you know, in their careers. But essentially, I'd say 99% of the conversation was about their managing. We had a couple of former managers on the committee, you know, Tommy Lasorda and uh, actually uh, three managers, Tommy Lasorda, Whitey Herzog, and Frank Robinson. So there was plenty of experience there to talk about, you know, what a manager does and so forth. But, the, yeah, I would say 99% of the conversation was, was, about, was about his managing. That's pretty much a murderer's row of great managers there, too. But there there were a lot of other players, managers, you know, uh, front office guys on the ballot, including George Steinbrenner. And this year with, you know, it's basically simple math that there was 16 guys on the committee. Everyone voted for Tory Cox and LaRusso. That left maybe 32 votes to go around based on the ballots. So there was very little chance of anyone else to, to kind of get enough to get in. But with guys like Steinbrenner and all that, I'm sure there's a lot of you know, Yankee fans who thought, oh, how did George Steinbrenner not get in? But I'm sure it's much more of a case of the competition versus, say, no one believes George Steinbrenner is a Hall of Famer. And I'm sure there's a lot of other guys on that ballot that in a few years when it's revisited will also have a very good chance of getting in now that Torrey Cox and LaRusso are, are in. Yeah, I mean, everybody got their day in court. You know, there were there were two players on that, on that ballot, uh, Dan Quisenberry and Ted Simmons, who were only on the baseball writers' ballot for one year. So I think the fact that, you know, I mean, that says something. That says, that, look, this, this really is a second chance thing. This is really, a, maybe something happened years ago on a ballot, and that's why these guys didn't last. Uh, you know, and then you had somebody, you know, uh, like Steve Garvey, who had been on, and Tommy John, they'd been on the full 15 years. But I can say that everybody on that ballot was spoken about in equal length, whether it was Billy Martin or George Steinbrenner, uh, as I mentioned, that, that the players, Dave Concepcion and the rest, um, you realize the 16 people in the room. I think all realize that this is a really special, a special situation. And uh, uh, you know, George got his George got his day. I mean, there were there were nice things said about him and not so nice and back and forth. And uh, but I, I think Yankees fans uh, who think George uh, Steinbrenner belongs in the Hall of Fame should be should be encouraged. There was uh, it's it's not a matter. Guys, it's not a matter of somebody being rejected. You know, like I say, you can only vote for five people. And since we were obviously all of the same mind about the three managers that left only two spots on your ballot, and there were some people in the room who felt that uh, that's it, I, I'm voting for the three and that's all. So 
it was yeah it was going to be tough for the fourth guy to get in but i uh i think the uh, the uh, the talk about george was uh, was encouraging he was not he was not uh, he was not uh, dismissed uh, I, I wouldn't use that phrase at all. He just, you know, he just didn't get enough votes to to get in. Jack, last year was obviously a little bit unique because nobody was elected to the Hall of Fame. How uh, surprised was the electorate last year that nobody ended up getting in? You know, I don't think I don't think to be honest, I don't think anybody was surprised. I mean, we know uh, we know what the issue was um, and what the issue remains on this ballot. And uh, it's clear in the last five or six years, you see the voting total for some of these players, that uh, the writers are divided on this issue. And uh, so I, I mean, I, for one, w- was not surprised. You know, it's, it's funny. I went to Nashville. It was the winter meetings were in Nashville last year. And when I went down there, <clears throat> you know, that's about the time that the ballot comes out and the writers start talking about who they're voting for and so forth. And on the flight down, I was thinking Biggio is probably an automatic, you know, with 3,000 hits and so forth. But by the time I returned from Nashville on the flight back, I was thinking, you know what, this could be a bullet ballot. I, I just didn't hear any, any passion for him. And so I, I have to be honest, I was not surprised that we didn't elect anybody. I, I figured if, if, if there's no passion for somebody that got, <laughs> has 3,000 hits in his career, then there's, there's a good chance that we won't elect anybody. Uh, it happens. I mean, it happened uh, in 1996, so it it's something that happens. It's part of the the process, I guess, every 15 or 18 years or so. But um, uh, I don't think that will be the case this year. I was just going to say I that. I don't with... think it will be the case at all. This is, this is one of the strongest ballots I've seen in the 19 years I've done it. No, I was just going to say that this this kind of now has, you know, on the player side, it almost has the possibility for a few slam dunks, just like Tory Cox and LaRusso with you guys. Who, who do you think maybe just, just if you want to throw out a name, you know, nobody's ever going to be a unanimous Hall of Famer. You and I have had that discussion in the past. Right. But who's who do you think maybe is the, the best chance of being the closest to unanimous? Kind of everybody is, well, everybody theoretically is going to say this guy is number one on my ballot. Well, I think there's someone on the ballot this year that fits that description. That would be Greg Maddox. Um, and, and the other person just immediately comes to mind is the fellow who just retired, Mariano Rivera. Uh, that's five years from now. But I, I look at Greg Maddox as that kind of player. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't think that he was one of the great pitchers uh, during his lifetime. Uh, the numbers are all there. I mean, I think the only, quote, negative, unquote, thing you could say about him is, uh, you know, his, his postseason record wasn't all that strong. But, but by the same token, <laughs> it's a long postseason record. This guy was a winning pitcher on a lot of winning teams. Um, he has the most gold gloves uh, of any, uh, of any uh, position player. Um, I, I don't. I'm not crazy about the phrase "no-brainer" because I think you're supposed to use your brain and <laughs> everything. But I, I, I see this guy as uh, as being someone you just look at that. You, you don't even have to look at his page. I mean, you just know that Greg Maddox was a great player and he was a Hall of Famer. And I expect that he will do very, very well in this. Uh, I'd be stunned if he didn't, if he wasn't, you know, like in the top five or ten uh, percentage guys. I mean, this is one of the great careers uh, of our lifetime. And, Jack, uh, I guess our last question here for you, obviously we have a lot of Yankee fans that listen to us, and one of the uh, Yankees that is on the ballot and might be on the ballot for a a while to come is Mike Messina. What do you think his chances are, and what are kind of his chances now and in the future? Obviously he's not a 300-game winner. He doesn't have the huge strikeout numbers, but he was a very dominant and, and solid pitcher for a long time. What do you think his chances are? Well, I think it's important to anybody who thinks that he has a shot at the Hall of Fame, that, you know, they're not quite sure, but, 
you know, he did have a good career, 270 wins, uh, and he was an ace on almost every staff he pitched with, uh, to vote for him. Because the, the important thing in the early part of the, the time on the ballot is to get the 5% so that you can get on the ballot again next year and the year after that. Um, I think he's a guy that he's not going to go in right away, but I think he's a guy whose numbers hold up with a lot of people. Uh, however, if Jack Morris doesn't get elected this year, that could hurt him. But I think if you look at his career compared to a Kurt Schilling or Pedro Martinez, who may, came on, who may come on next year, you know, it's, uh, you know he's, he's in the conversation. So I don't expect him to get a, a very high percentage this year, but I hope for his sake he gets over the 5% because I do think he deserves, uh, he deserves more than, than one year. I think he deserves uh, consideration over a period of time, and he might make it. Well, I think that makes uh, three of us because Doug and I are both of the mindset that Moose is uh, one of those guys that should at least have the chance more than once. Right. Jack, I, hope uh, so. <laughs> I hope so. I encourage writers to, you know, to do that. You know, don't, don't dismiss a, a guy to, with one year. I had that with some players. I, years ago, I voted for Bobby Gritch, you know, one and done. A few years ago, I voted for Will Clark. I just, I just didn't feel that they should be dismissed after one year. So I kind of encourage writers to do that. One of the problems with a ballot this thick, however, though, is, uh, you know, we, are you going to have room? And I, I hope that the writers will, will, will leave a little bit of room uh, to throw a vote to, uh, to Moose. Well, I guess all of us, including Messina, will find out in a couple of weeks uh, where they stand in the Hall of Fame, whether they're in, whether they're out, and whether they're out for good. Jack O'Connell, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it, and uh, happy holidays to you, and we'll see you in April at the stadium. Okay. Good to talk to you, Doug and Luke. Thanks, okay. Jack. Merry Christmas to both of you. You too. And that is Jack O'Connell of the Baseball Writers Association of America. January 8th is the official date that the names will be announced, the class of 2014. 2 p.m., I believe, is the time. It'll be broadcast live on MLB Network, MLB.com, various other outlets. So check your local listings or websites. But you can definitely see see Jack standing there at the podium and say, congratulations to X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, depending on how many people get in. I don't uh, think G's. I don't think G's getting in. No, G. That's just my. No, Dylan G doesn't really have the right of my. Jack yeah. was great. Uh, that was an awesome interview. It's great to talk to him about it. Yeah. I mean, there's no better guy to talk to about the Hall of Fame. No, you know, a lot of people maybe see Jack as the secretary treasurer of the BBWAA or know that he, you know, does some things with the Yankees universe and other things at the stadium. But he's covered the Yankees and baseball in general for as long as I've been alive. Worked for uh, various New York outlets, the Hartford Current. Um, now you know the BBWAA stuff. So he's 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 a great guy. If you ever meet Jack O'Connell, to have a just a baseball conversation with because he's seen it all, yeah. And and he's you know he's a very analytical mind. And uh, as you heard in, during that interview, and you know he's just like I said, a great guy to. We're very lucky with who we sit next to in the press box. Yeah, he's he a knows great about to, as much about the game as anybody. And oddly enough, a, a fun story to tie in the baseball and rock and roll Hall of Fame story stuff is Don Mariano Rivera Day. Jack actually asked me a few questions about Metallica and Inner Sandman because I'm guessing Metallica is not necessarily his uh, musical cup of tea. Uh, many people, I'm sure, feel the same way. But it's kind of like you know one of those things where he's asking me about Metallica and I can ask him about you know Jack Morris because I was a kid when he was born um, pitching in his prime or guys like that. It's it's kind of a like I said, he's a great guy to have a conversation with. So if you ever ever meet Jack, you know definitely want to pick his brain. Uh, we wanted to change topics briefly to talk about something that's been kind of in the news lately. I, I can't go anywhere without hearing about it. 
and it's Mike Woodson in the Knicks, mm. and then we'll get into the fact that our Nets are doing pretty well. It's it's overshadowing the fact that right. the Nets are kind of on a bit of a streak here. And it, what's so funny is I'm, I'm starting to hear, uh, you know, the NBA is kind of the number one topic right now uh, in New York because the Jets and the Giants have mm-hmm. both been eliminated. And what I hear people saying is, you know, they're talking about Miami and Indiana. Everyone loves the fact that Miami and Indiana are a shoe-in for the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And they play tonight as we tape right. Wednesday in Miami. So that's a big – that's a huge game. And so people keep saying those two will be one and two, and uh, I could see the Nets coming in third. Well, when did that happen? Because like a week ago, everyone was killing the Nets, and all they had to do, honestly, was get Darren Williams back, and now people think – this is going to be the number three seed, and I can't disagree. In terms of the Knicks, they're making everybody look silly for predicting that they could be a four or a five or even in the playoff picture. They a 14 re- might be a stretch yeah, for them. They are such a disaster all around, and I don't know who's going to who's gonna play point guard tonight. I guess it would be Udrich, uh, and the, everybody's hurt, but that's the least of their worries. It, it's more about the fact that now they're set up for a disaster tonight. Yes. They play – it's Wednesday. They play the worst team in the NBA tonight. If they find a way to lose. That's got to be it for Mike Woodson. Right. And it's just, sad because be it's it. not his fault. I mean, we talked about this last week. I just really don't think – I don't think Phil Jackson could coach this team. You know, the thing about it is I have two thoughts, and I'm going to say this one first because it's shorter, is that a couple weeks ago we talked about how a loss would be devastating for the Knicks against the Nets because the Nets were bottom feeders at the time as well, and it was a big game. It's an inner city rivalry. And the Knicks responded by winning by 30. So it's very possible they could win by 30 tonight. It's also very possible they could lose by 40 like they did to the Celtics a couple weeks ago. The, the other point is this, and it's we, we've had this discussion, you and I, about Woodson and various other coaches over the last few weeks. And it reminds me, I went to the Ranger game a couple weeks ago, um, actually about a week ago. Uh, and then I went again when they played um, on Sunday night. And they played Calgary, who's not very good. And they had to go to a shootout. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those seasons for the Rangers. And you wonder, you hear, you know, players have been kind of upset with Elaine Vigneault. Vigneault's been kind of upset that he needs players that fit into his system. And when it comes to things like that, you have to wonder, is it really incumbent on the players to necessarily have to learn a system and get a certain adjustment period? Or is it also just as incumbent on the coach to adapt his system? I mean, you look at somewhere like college basketball where guys stay somewhere forever. Mike Krzyzewski recruits players that fit the Duke system because it's the Duke system and that's what works. The players are almost interchangeable because they're, you know, the, the program is that good. Professional teams aren't like that. You can't just start over after four years and, you know, when a new guy takes over like Rich Rodriguez did when he went to, out to Arizona and it was a disaster, you can't just recruit guys you know, a couple of years later and kind of re reshuffle the deck, so to speak. In the pros, you have to sort of adapt to guys that are under long-term contract and players in the system and this and that. So how much of it necessarily is the players and how much of it is Woodson is the point I'm going to. I mean, is anyone else going to do any better? We've talked about maybe that kind of quote-unquote dead cat bounce where it's, oh, new coach, let's play a little harder to impress him. But then what happens well, 10 games in? I understand your point, Lou, and I think it's a very good one. But where do you draw the line? Because – if coaches are going to start totally relying on players for the feel of their team and the offenses and the defenses, and it's coaches are going to show up on day one, look at their team and say, okay, with these guys, I'm going to do this. With, you know, with those guys, I'm going to do that. 
But then players are going to start driving the whole thing. Coaches will be totally useless. Well, I don't mean that it's going to be the whole thing, but I mean it's incumbent on someone like that to now say, all right, I've got to just go with what works. You know, Carmelo Anthony may be making $90 million, and Amari Stoudemire might be owed another $50 million. If he's ineffective, sit his ass on the bench. Just go with the team that's that's fighting at the very least. Make Try to make something happen. They do a shakeup internally. Where the line is drawn is, I mean, well, we're, what, 25, 30 games into the season, and he's still there. So clearly the line hasn't been hit yet in terms of rock bottom, but it's coming. I think everybody knows it's coming. I think Mike Woodson knows it's coming. I think it's also potential, though, Lou, because I think Elaine Vigneault probably looks at his system and thinks, if we get this right, I've, I know you can win hockey games with it. And I think Mike Woodson looks at Amari Stoudemire and says, I've seen this guy play. I think if we get him right, we can get him to have a 20-10 and 10 game night after night. And that potential drives coaches to make these decisions. Now, I think coaches are a little too stubborn sometimes. They're all about my system. I don't have players that can play in my system, which I think is a terrible excuse for not winning. If you don't have the players, then you go to your GM behind closed doors and you say, move this guy, bring up this guy, trade this guy, and actually make things happen to put your team in a winning position. But to put to put it out there in the media to say, yeah, these players aren't fitting exactly what I want to do, that doesn't get anything done because it, it doesn't make your team better. Off. Right. It says, oh, oh, just because uh, I'm more focused on hitting guys than scoring goals, I can't fit in your system. Or just because I'm a defenseman that fakes, f- focuses on defense. You know, like little things like that. Yeah, just, exactly. I, I think it's totally, you know, I don't know. We've gotten a little off topic. In general, though, Mike Woodson is is coaching, I think, for his job. I predicted that if they lost by double digits the other night, I can't remember who they were playing uh, last week. Was it when they played Milwaukee first time? No, no. I think they played Cleveland. Yeah, and they lost to Cleveland by double digits. And I predicted that if they did that, Woodson would would be fired. But I really think if they lose to the worst team in the NBA tonight with Carmelo Anthony, I don't care who's around him. At the end of the day, you have to beat the worst team in the NBA with one of the best players in the NBA. Right. And I think they got to win tonight if Woodson wants a job. Well, I mean, that's you know that's that's going to be what it is. Um, you know, on the other side of the coin here in, in Brooklyn, we have the Nets, who now have Paul Pierce back, now have Darren Williams back, and all of a sudden, this looks like the team everybody thought it was going to be. Everyone was wondering: Is it injuries that's killing them? Is it Jason Kidd? Is it this? Is it that? And maybe. It, so far, it clearly seems to be it was the injuries. Now we can kind of judge the team for what they are because they're winning games. Yes, they're beating some bad teams. They're beating the Milwaukee's of, of the league. But they're also winning some decent games. And, you know, it's one of those things where this now, if they get into a rhythm, the way that we've talked about the East is so bad, this legitimately could be the three seed. They could win the Atlantic Division going away. Oh, yeah. I would say that they have the best shot in the Eastern Division. Uh, to be the three seed, and remember, at the beginning of the year they beat the Heat when they were they did they were healthy. Yep, and that's the beginning of the year with all these new faces. So that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Now they were unhealthy there for a little while and they struggled. And the worst thing that we could have said and we did say about the Nets was I remember thinking Sean Livingston looks about as good as Darren Williams. And then that turned out to be the case where Sean Livingston is only good in spurts. Right. Exactly. And so then Darren Williams came back healthy, and it was like, that's why. That's why he's better. That's why he's the number one point guard on this team. Yep. And, you know, they don't, they're not perfect. It looks like Kevin Garnett is really old, and Paul Pierce is coming off the bench. And the, Joe Johnson had a huge game the he other night. Just, which was he was unconscious, unconscious the other night. 
and that would be a guy. It would be great for him to have a big year yep. for him to you know absorb Pierce and Garnett around him and really find his his true inner star. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll see. They have some tough games coming up uh, for the second straight year. It's a kind of a New Year's trip out to the Midwest, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, back-to-back around New Year's. So that's, that's you know, fun. last year that was kind of the Nets' resume win, was pounding Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City. And we'll see what happens this year. I mean, those two teams are pretty much pretty much the same, uh, kind of that, that dynasty out west, so to speak. So we'll see what happens. And we'll talk a little bit more Nets next week, too, um, at the end of our kind of lengthier edition, I guess, of the S-Men that's going to have to carry us for a few weeks until we get back in January. But uh, before we go on this week, one thing we got to talk about, too, is the NFL. You mentioned that the Jets and the Giants are eliminated from playoff contention. Week 16 is here, Doug, and I am one of two people left in my survivor pool. Uh, see, I thought I thought this was going to be about the NFL, not bragging about your success in the survivor pool. Well, this, this is about the NFL, and I'm going to humble brag about my success in survivor because I am scared for my life right now that I am going to overthink something. And I think I'm going with Chicago and Miami this week who play, you know, Chicago – or not Chicago, Detroit plays the Giants at home and Miami's in Buffalo. Chicago and Arizona got it done for me last week, but – this week now, with the right results, I think it's five different games have to go the right way. We could end up with seven of the eight divisions clinched. The playoff picture pretty much kind of at that point would be, in the AFC at least, would be set depending on those results because they would they would kind of carry out to certain records. Um, it's been a crazy last month, to say the least. I mean, the Giants have looked awful for the majority of it. The Jets have looked, have had flashes, but have looked awful for the majority of it. But there's some teams in there that have been kind of showing flashes. I guess Cleveland, for one. Jacksonville has come to life. It makes something like a Week 16, Week 17 Survivor Bowl kind of interesting now. Because do you really – can you trust Jacksonville at Tennessee? They already beat them. They've won, you know, what, four out of their last six. I mean, can you trust them? I don't know, though. Are you asking for my help? Yes. Yes, I am asking for your help. I am thinly veiled talking about the NFL asking for your help. I would help you. But the fact that you're making this sound like some sort of burden – the fact, the fact that you're making this one of two in your pot of gold is so close, Lou. And, and, and all you're telling me is that it's a stress and a burden upon your shoulders? It's tough. It's tough, man. All right. You know what? It's, then you don't need my it's help. Not, it's not like buying a Mega Millions ticket where you've got a one in 250 You have a one chance. in two chance to yes. win your, your survivor pool. And two people in Georgia and wherever so the other one what was had a chance do. at Mega Millions. And here's what it. you have to do. You have to put your head down. you got to stop thinking. And you just got to go with your gut. So I'm going Detroit and Miami. Yes. Right? Make the decision now right. and walk away. Well, now, I guess... now, that goes without saying, if Matt Stafford comes up lame in practice, then you make the decision. Yeah, I'm not going to make those official choices until Saturday, but I guess we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. And in two, three weeks when we come back, we'll, we can eulogize the Giants and Jets seasons, too. But I, I will agree with you. There are some teams coming up and there are some teams going down in the NFL, two of which of the latter are in New York. I every every week I I watch Red Zone and every week I am impressed by most of the players on the Cleveland Browns. I really think they're a quarterback away from being a very good team. Yes, yeah, I think I think that's very much the case. And but their wide receivers it, are so athletic, and it's amazing how much better they've gotten in terms of just chemistry and, and everything since they got rid of Trent Richardson. And he hasn't really done much at all in Indianapolis. So uh, it's addition by subtraction and. For Indianapolis, it was subtraction by addition. I mean, kind of on the on the backside. It's one of those moves where I think the media 
just totally got that wrong. And I, I was one of them coming out and saying, you know, that, that would stink to be a Cleveland fan. You know, they, they get rid of your starting running back and, you know, your season's just beginning. Well, I think the people that made that decision are smarter than we are, and they yep. did this for a reason. And now they've gotten a lot back for Trent. I think they've got a bright future. And they haven't been any worse with Chris Ogbenaya and, and Willis McGahee and the, and the, the, the nameless rabble right, of, exactly. uh, of, of backup running backs. But two more weeks to go. The Eagles are perilously hanging on to a playoff berth in the NFC East. I mean, it's... God. There's just no fun outcome in that division right now for me. By the way, I checked your your predictions that you made. I'm 50-50 still, right? You're you're, you're still... I'm clinging to 500. You're you're pretty much 500, and there's still a possibility that the 8-8 Cowboys could win the NFC East. If they lose this week to Washington, but Philly loses to uh, Chicago... And then Dallas wins the Week 17 game. Both of them are 8-8, eight and, eight and Dallas wins the tiebreaker because they beat Philly twice. See, see? So you are still alive. I am still alive. And the funny thing is, Lou, that's not that far-fetched. Because it's absolutely Dallas is, not that Dallas far-fetched. is going to beat Washington. Washington is terrible. Yeah, but did you see the way Washington played? I know the Falcons are terrible, too. But did you see no. the way they played with Kirk Cousins? It was a whole different team. Okay, okay. Dallas will win that game. And if Philly just lost to Minnesota with a third string running back, a backup quarter and a backup quarterback, it's not that far fetched. They could very easily lose to Chicago on Sunday night. Yes. If I'm right about that, something's gonna happen. I I don't know. I might have I'll buy you lunch every day for a week. No. You can buy me one lunch. Okay, that's fine. But it's it's amazing how you're five hundred in all of those picks set yet still have pretty much a fifty fifty chance of actually the end result being exactly the same. It's it's just uncanny. Yeah, man. I'm pretty psyched. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men on a, on a high note for, for both Doug and I. Uh, as I said, next week uh, you can look out for our kind of State of the Yankees, State of the Nets uh, holiday podcast. And then we'll be back, uh, I think, January 8th. Actually, we'll be taping. So we'll probably wait until after the Hall of Fame vote is announced so we can talk about that. And that will be our return. Kind of a open cliffhanger like any other TV show going on hiatus for the holidays. Cool. But uh, until then, I am Lou DiPietro. To my left is Doug Williams. We wish all of you out there a happy, safe, healthy holiday, new year. And uh, we'll see you in 2014. Hope you get what you want.